Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to my least favourite talk of the year. Uh, those who know me well will already have guessed that my least favourite talk of the year is money and giving. Uh, I used to say in a very spiritual kind of way, or at least it sounded spiritual to me at the time, that I prefer to just leave all that stuff to the Holy Spirit to speak to people. Just let them read the Bible for themselves. And that sounded pretty good, until someone said to me that on that basis we would never preach a sermon about anything. Now, please don't misunderstand me, it's not that I don't think it's important, but there are several reasons why you won't hear me talking about it very often. Here is the main reason. This is from an article I found on the internet. One of the most common complaints of non-churchgoers against the church is that the church is always after their money. The complaint is often justified. In many churches every Sunday, the pastor pressures people to give more. Many TV preachers openly flaunt their lavish lifestyles and promise people that if they will give to their ministries, God will repay them abundantly. Here's another one about financial abuse in Christianity. When preachers use what it called the weight of God to pressure church members into tithing or giving to manipulate church members to give money above their means, promising that God will bless them or repay them, and exploit church funds for selfish or secular gain. Everything within me wants to have nothing to do with anything like that. In fact, I want to do the complete opposite and never talk about it ever if that is what people think. Not only is that the impression that many Non-churchgoers have, sadly, a lot of Christians have experienced that as well. And that's one of the reasons why they may be reluctant to give or don't give very much, because they don't trust the people and the organisations that they'd be giving it to. But that isn't the only reason that this is my least favourite subject. When I'm preparing a talk, I want to try to make it relevant to everybody in the service. I want everybody who comes to be able to take something away and feel like that talk was for them. But you know, that is really quite difficult when it comes to money and giving because we have people in all kinds of financial circumstances in the church. We have people here today who hardly have enough to live on week to week to feed their family and pay their bills. We have mums and dads who may not eat a hot meal every day so they can feed their children or buy them school uniform instead. And when you know that there are people in the room in that situation, the only thing that you want to stand here and say to them is, please don't give us any of your money. This talk is not for you. We also know that many, many people in the room today are already giving very generously and very sacrificially. And it is thanks to you that we're able to do what we're already doing as a church. For many of you, we know that it is really costing you. You're taking cheaper holidays or no holidays or driving around in a cheaper car than you could do and going out less than you could do. And it's because you believe in what we're doing and you want to be part of it. So to all of you, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. To you, we feel like saying 
forget the talk, let's just do some more worship and ministry time instead. And then last but not least, we always have guests and visitors on a Sunday, and I'm very aware that this is possibly the world's worst subject for your first ever visit to the church. On the plus side, I suppose if you can survive today and still give us another chance next week, then things can only get better from here. So after that uh, long list of health warnings about the possible side effects, today's subject is money and giving. Now because I've hated every sermon that I've ever heard on this subject, uh, except for one by John Wright from Trent Vineyard, uh, but I copied that one last year, um, because of that I'm going to take a slightly different approach. Hopefully on Monday morning, Becky Stevens, our finance administrator, won't be saying to me, well done, Steve, that different kind of approach you talked about has worked a treat. The giving has gone down already. <laughs> so I thought that I would make it the classic uh, three-point sermon and look at three questions. Uh, number one, why as Christians should we give in the first place? Number two, what does your giving go on? And number three, what could we achieve if everyone who could give, did give. So number one, why as Christians should we give in the first place? And the answer to that is very simple. If your heart isn't in it, then don't. Simple as that. End of. If your heart isn't in what we're doing here, then the Vineyard Church is a very easy place to get away with not giving. Who gives and what you give is confidential. It's on a need-to-know basis. So you'll never get a phone call from the office saying, why aren't you giving, or why aren't you giving more? So if you don't give, then hardly anyone will ever know. And no one will ever be on your case about it. Now, it's true that our giving is a criteria for some leadership roles, but that's because it's a measure of our character and our spiritual maturity. But absolutely everyone is very welcome to be part of the church, whether they are giving or not. So if you don't want to give, then please don't. What you do with your money is between you and Jesus. Becky is probably thinking, uh, this is a pretty bad start. Uh, surely it can't get much worse than this. But the reason that we say that is because God wants your heart to be in it, and so too do we. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if your heart's not in it, then don't. Jesus doesn't beg people to give, so neither should his church either. But it does kind of beg the question, why do Christians give in the first place if they can get away without? Now, if you are someone who's already a generous giver, then you will already have your reasons how you'd answer that question. But I think for most of us, it's probably a combination of three things. The first one is that we are convinced that it's what God wants us to do. Not because anyone's forcing us to or putting a guilt trip on us if we don't. We're simply convinced that it's what God wants of us. 
we've realized that it doesn't make much sense to invite Jesus into my life, but not into my bank account as well. Second reason is that we're convinced that we can never outgive God. So if we are faithful to him with our money, he will be faithful to us. And number three, we want to feel that we are part of what's happening in this church, that we are giving into it, not just taking out of it. We want to be able to say to ourselves, I'm one of the people who's making all this happen. So every time we feed a hungry family or we deliver beds and furniture to furnish a flat for a mum and her kids running away from an abusive relationship, or we provide a kid with a school uniform, or someone finds Jesus for the first time, or gets healed or has their life transformed in some way, we are able to say it's my giving that has helped to make all that happen. Christians who give are people who've bought into what Jesus said about money, his Investment advice, if you like, in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, we put our money into what we love. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So as Christians, we just have to decide which it's going to be. Verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So that's basically the decision that we make as Christians who give. We decide to seek the kingdom first, because those are the only two options. Either to put all these things first, to run after them, or to put the kingdom first. Christians who give are making a visible statement, both to Jesus and also to ourselves, that we are trusting him for our needs, and we're willing to forego some of our wants, the things that we could spend that money on instead. And of course, we should never confuse our needs with our wants, because this consumer culture that we all swim in will always keep on tempting us to want more. One reason that Christians sometimes come up with for not giving is because they say tithing is legalistic, that it comes from the law of Moses. So Jesus has set us free from tithing, they say. And sometimes people ask me, what do you say to that? And my answer is, well, if you'd like to believe that, then please do. People who say that to me often, that's what they want to believe, so I don't want to try and dissuade them. But if someone genuinely wants to know my opinion, then I will tell them three things. Number one is, if you think giving 10% is legalistic, then please give more than 10%. (laughs) Problem solved. Number two, if you want to use that as 
a biblical reason to give nothing or to give as little as you can get away with, then please find a better reason. Because you may have convinced yourself that that sounds good, but it is biblically illiterate. Tithing in the Bible began way before the law, in the book of Genesis, in fact, the very first book. Jesus himself affirmed tithing in the New Testament. And it was also the understanding and the practice of the early church as well in the first few centuries after Jesus. And then number three, forget theology for a moment. What kind of people do you think that God wants us to be? In fact, what kind of God do you think he is? The God who gave us the Bible that we're talking about in the first place. Is he generous and kind or selfish and stingy? Do we really think that the Jesus who said that the whole of the law is summed up in just one command, to love God with everything we've got and to love people with everything we've got, Do we really think that Jesus didn't intend us to love God with our money and love people with our money as well? Do we really think that Jesus intended to put an end to generous and sacrificial giving by God's people after the Old Testament ended? I don't think so. So question two, what does your giving currently go on? Well, every year around about February time, we do a formal financial presentation that everyone gets invited to, uh, whether they give or not. And we're also always happy to answer any question about money during the rest of the year as well. You can ask me or Lynn or Becky or one of the trustees and we'll happily get you the answer. Uh, But let me give you just a a few quick headlines. The church's income is around about £400,000. Virtually all of that comes directly from your giving. We do get some grants for storehouse, but they are very hard to get for church organisations. The largest category of costs is the premises. Heating, lighting, repairs and maintenance. Uh, We have a mortgage and a large ground rent and, of course, the cost of improvements as well. It is a very big building and Because it's old, it's very expensive to run, especially when we're using it virtually every day of the week. The next largest category is staff costs, which I'll say a bit about in a moment. But over 25% of everything that we spend goes on running Storehouse and our other compassion ministries. And that's one of the reasons why we can't invest as much as other churches do in so-called church things but I promise you we wouldn't have it any other way. If you will uh, forgive the expression, hell would freeze over before we ever cut back on helping people in need. Now, the staff team is a mixture of full-time and part-time, but everyone does what they do for love and not money. We're not able to pay commercial salaries. We're mostly paying people at or around the living wage, so working for the church is a very costly thing for them. They all do massive amounts of volunteering as well, evenings and weekends, just like all of you do. Amelia and Liz are fantastic examples of staff team who do way more than the two days a week that we're currently able to pay them for. 
and, of course, achieving some amazing things for the kingdom in the kids' lives. The pastoral leadership team do that as unpaid volunteers. So, too, the cluster leaders and the trustees, who are kind of like an independent board of directors. So, bearing in mind where we started from this morning, what you should most want to know at this point is what do Lynn and I get paid? Well, for the first three years that we were on staff here, we decided that neither of us would take a salary. And the reason for that was because we wanted to invest the money into other people and other things. We wanted to build a foundation in terms of staff team and facilities that would be broad enough and strong enough to support a bigger church and a bigger compassion ministry. And that's because what we felt that God was asking us to do was to take Ellsbury Vineyard from being a big, small church to a small, big church. And for that to happen, we had to start being what we wanted to become. Now, to fund ourselves during that time, I, I carried on working three days a week in my old job in London. And then I gave that up at the end of 2015 when I knew it was time for me to be full-time here. The first year after that, we lived on money that we'd saved up for when that day came. And we also started drawing some of our pension. Yes, I know I don't look old enough. <laughs> but looks can be deceptive. I'm actually 83. So the final thing to say on that is that uh, Lynn and I uh, tithe ourselves. And we personally believe that anything else that we choose to give to should be in addition to that and not part of it. And then finally, question number three, what could we achieve as a church if everyone who could give financially did give financially? Or another way of putting it is what will we be able to do over the next few months if we all give so that we can make these things happen. So let's start with Storehouse. Uh, James Tweets, who runs Storehouse, is always saying that he won't be satisfied until we've rid Aylesbury of poverty. Not all by ourselves, of course, but that's why James has brought together 11 different agencies here at the vineyard on our Storehouse opening days to meet with the clients first so that we're not just giving people stuff, we're helping them with jobs and housing and benefits advice and debt management and all sorts of other stuff besides. A kind of one-stop shop for people to find the help that they need in one place, one time, right here. We've just been given a grant to start Aylesbury's first community fridge where individuals and businesses can bring their surplus fresh food and anyone who needs it can just come and take from it with no means testing or interviews and the dignity of not having to go to a food bank. But we only have partial funding for that, so we need to invest more to take on a person who will run it for us. In fact, we need that person to oversee all of the food ministries we have, which are, are quite big nowadays. We serve thousands of meals a year. And we need to very professionally manage food hygiene and food safety throughout the building, all the fridges and freezers, and, and to organise and store the food, and so on. We have run out of space in the storehouse parts of this building because of the size of the operation today and the increasing needs that we're seeing in the community. 
So we've been praying for some while and we've been asking the owners to let us use that big empty building opposite us, the other side of Gatehouse Close, called Paragon House. And they've just recently said yes and they've offered it to us rent-free for at least a year and hopefully some while after that. So the plan is to relocate some or all of the storehouse operations there and hopefully to base the community fridge there as well and to use the warehouse area in that building, which is about the same size or bigger than, than this space, uh, so that we can display the furniture for people in room settings like you would in a furniture store rather than being sort of piled up uh, as it is now. Obviously, there will be costs involved in launching that. Another thing that we'd love to do is to be able to run the van uh, to collect and deliver furniture and food on a Saturday as well as the week times for clients who can't be at home uh, during uh, working the working week. We already have need of another full-time staff member for that van team, um, especially if we are successful in getting a sponsor to give us a refrigerated van for food collections. In terms of what you might call church, we have a vision to start a preschool or a nursery school, in addition to the fantastic uh, mums and toddlers music group that Becky and the team run on a Wednesday morning called Vineyard Vibes that we have already hundreds of mums and toddlers coming along to. And we're also soon going to be starting a once-a-week soft play cafe here because there isn't one in Aylesbury right now. But in order to be able to do all of that, we feel the need to invest in a security gate and fence at the front of the vineyard centre to make the grounds safer for the hundreds of children and families that are coming here every month and for the safety of staff and visitors leaving the building in the evenings. Because unfortunately at the moment we have drug dealers parking their black BMWs around the back at night to do drug deals. And we've had drug users shooting up in the car park even during the day. So we feel the need to stop that happening and to stop people being tempted to break into the building, which has happened three times in recent years, and to make sure that drugs paraphernalia doesn't get left around the grounds for children to find. And that in itself is going to cost around £18,000. Another thing we want to do is to make the vineyard centre eco-friendly, energy efficient, by replacing the light fittings with low-energy, environmentally friendly ones, and if we can, to use solar power. All of that will ultimately save us money on our energy bills. On Sunday mornings, we have a vision to develop the cafe commercially so that people can come for breakfast before the first service. There is a first service, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Uh, but if you fancy coming for a first service and have a bacon butty as well, then we'd love to make that available. Or to stay for lunch after the second service. The chef that we take on to run that would also develop the cafe during the week to have it open during all of the other events that we have and hopefully to oversee the make lunch and the Tuesday teas catering as well. Once that is established, it should be financially self-sufficient and pay its own way. But to make that happen, first we need to upgrade the main cafe area 
as we did recently with the Storehouse Cafe, if you've seen that, to make it more comfortable and less clinical. The cheap and cheerful IKEA furniture that we bought a few years ago has served us well, but it's beginning to fall apart, and we need to upgrade it with something nicer and some nicer lighting as well, especially for evening events. And then last but not least, having Paragon House would also mean that we could create a dedicated youth room and give more space to vineyard kids, which is bursting at the seams on a Sunday morning. But all of that, of course, takes resources. It requires financial investment. So to finish, let me just explain how we can all help be a part of achieving these things. There are basically three aspects to it. The first is we would like to encourage everyone who sees the vineyard as their church, who identifies with the church and wants to be part of what we're doing, to give by monthly standing order if you're not already. That's assuming that you have a regular income and a bank account, of course. And the reason for that is because we can only really budget based on our standing order income because what comes in through the weekly offering varies uh, week to week depending on the time of year and who comes and so on. It's also very much more time-consuming for us to administer as well. So if you can, please would you consider giving by monthly standing order. There are some forms for that by the information point or you can do it through the website or by contacting your bank. It's very easy to do. And of course, one of the advantages of committing to giving by standing order is it means we're not tempted to spend that money on other things in a particular month. The second aspect is if you are already giving in part, but maybe not to the extent you could, uh, perhaps you haven't looked at that for a while, um, please could you consider reviewing the amount? Maybe if you are giving but not tithing. If just 20 people were to give an extra £50 a month, for example, then that in itself will be enough to cover the cost of our food person. And then the third and final aspect is whether you would like to consider making a one-off gift, maybe from savings or an inheritance or whatever it may be. A gift into some of these projects that need some upfront capital investment as well as the monthly running costs. In the Old Testament, they had two types of giving. They had tithes and offerings. And tithes were the first 10% of everything that God gave them, the first 10% that they considered to be the Lord's. But they would also give free will offerings from time to time as well, according to a person's means. And the big opportunity for us to do that will be in three weeks' time, which is our annual Thanksgiving services, as we call them, on November the 25th. And that's when we'll be inviting the church to bring free will offerings of financial gifts to help us launch these things that I've been talking about this morning. And just so you know, we'll also be tithing that offering. We'll be giving 10% of it away to a Christian charity working in the Yemen, which is one of the most devastated places in the world, and we'll be doing that through advice and connections we have here in the church. And then finally, there will also be the opportunity that morning to bring gifts of Christmas food, Christmas goodies, 
to enable us to make up hampers for our storehouse, make lunch, and Tuesday teas clients. And that's a, also a great way for the children especially to feel they are involved in giving uh, on the day in a tangible way.